0: Welcome to our final episode of A Just Transition for 2021, brought to you by RBS International. My name's Tim Phillips. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our conversations during the year. It's been a pretty important year for ESG, hasn't it? And we hope that it's inspired some of your own conversations in your workplace, so, for the last time this year, welcome back to my co host Bradley Davidson, ESG lead at RBS International. Bradley, hello again. Hi, Tim. It's good to be back in the microphone after COP26. Yes, we had a little break. Something happened while we were away, didn't it? Now, remind me what Just Transition's all about.
1: Yeah, so to say 2021 has been a significant year for ESG would be an understatement. The conversations in Glasgow have confirmed that we need to rapidly rewire the financial system to both protect our planet and the communities that depend on it. There were more corporations represented at COP this year than ever before, and we're helping our customers on the journey to a sustainable future. Our podcast explores the challenges that funds may face on their way and enlists the help of experts from around the globe to bring you vital insights across a range of ESG topics.
0: So, in our first post-cop episode, Bradley, what are we talking about today?
1: Yes, so today we're going to first revisit the just transition, discussing whether the term adopted by many governments and institutions resonates with our customers, before then moving on to spotlight the S in ESG and exploring why we should be looking at environmental and social factors in parallel and the potential benefits to companies when doing so.
0: And I'm looking at our guests, Bradley, and... She looks familiar to me. Yes, I'm pleased to say that Tanya Kanegi
1: is joining us again. We thought it was fitting to end as we started, and I know our listeners enjoyed hearing the discussion in our first episode. Tanya is a partner with KPMG in New York and is the global and US lead for private equity and asset management at KPMG Impact. Welcome back to the podcast and congratulations on your new role.
2: Thank you so much. It is great to be back here with you. It's hard to believe we're at the end of the year.
1: I know, I feel like we blinked and we're here. It's been an eventful one at least. So before we get into our topics for today, I'd like to set the scene by asking why you think it's important we take a holistic approach to ESG. Uh,
2: Thanks, Bradley. Enabling a successful transition to net zero isn't about doing any one thing right in one particular area. It really requires careful consideration of many interdependent issues that will result in economic and social impacts. Climate change, we know, will significantly disrupt certain industries and communities, will impact the livelihoods and well-being of citizens, often affecting those who are most vulnerable the greatest. So how and when we collectively seek to transition will determine the severity of the disruption or maybe turn it around to be a little more positive, will enhance the resilience of companies and communities and their ability to seize opportunities associated with the transition.
1: We're clearly committed to the idea of a just transition. But in your experience, do you find that this idea resonates with your clients?
2: Absolutely. Our clients are particularly focused on understanding their transition risk in addition to the physical impacts of climate change on their business, which for institutional investors means the physical and transition risks associated with the different asset classes they invest in and the types of businesses in their portfolio. There is growing recognition of the opportunity and some feel the obligation for asset owners and managers to enable the transition to a low carbon economy through their portfolio in a responsible way. They're asking, How is it that we can help the companies that we invest in to take steps today to enhance their resilience and future fitness? And core to responsible transition is considering the impact on stakeholders more broadly.
0: Tanya, it seems to me that when we discuss ESG, we spend nearly all of our time discussing the E and it's understandable. It's on everybody's minds and it affects all of us. But the way you talk about it is slightly different. Do we focus too much on the E and not enough on the S, the social in ESG?
2: Interesting question. So I don't think we can have too much focus on climate. It is an incredibly complex area and with a significant economic impact. But what we see changing is the way that we understand and strategize around climate solutions and the E in ESG and that relationship between E, S and G. I mean, let me give you an example. I mentioned a moment ago about the importance of considering the impact on stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the key stakeholder groups that we see critical as enabling a just transition are employees. So we actually just released a study that KPMG conducted in conjunction with Evershed Sutherland focused on the significance of the human action in achieving the transition to net zero. And that report is called Climate Change and the People Factor. There's a Things that we really delved deep on in the survey. And it was climate change in the boardroom, including key issues for directors and senior management, the potential impact of the climate agenda on employees, from reskilling and retraining to potential displacement, and really saw employee engagement as a key to delivering on corporate decarbonization objectives.
0: Bradley, this is something that I know is in your day to day life as well. Do you think that we could focus more on the S here? So,
1: I think it's an interesting one. I absolutely agree with what Tanya said. This year, it feels as though the spotlight on environmental or climate factors has been heightened, given the huge scale of COP26. And I agree that we know that we need to take early and bold action to prevent the most harmful effects of climate change over the next decade and those to come. And so, it's for me less about. Reducing the priority of environmental factors and instead looking at ESG as a holistic approach. So, whenever you're looking at one factor that sits within environment, think about how that affects people from the social side. I attended a women in climate event at COP26 that -hmm. spoke about women in southern Africa and how the impacts of climate change have hit them hardest and at the most rapid pace. And actually, that has social impacts. And so, it's not that we need to remove the focus from climate, it's just that we need to make sure we consider the social factors at the same time and as part of the same processes to ensure we don't get unintended consequences and that we're listening to the stakeholders and those who are impacted most.
0: Bradley, you're part of a a giant organisation, thousands of staff. How do you ensure that the people that work in the organisation, well, they share the goals and they share them in a a meaningful way rather than just agreeing with things that are are said to them? How do you know that they are motivated by this idea of a just transition?
1: It's a great question. And I'll start by saying there is no one size fits all approach Mm. across colleagues or different organisations. We often talk on this podcast about needing to speak the language of our customers, and it's no different for colleagues. Each individual will come to environmental and social challenges with a different perspective, so it's important that we take that into account. To keep this quick, I'll share three tips that have worked well for us, that there are plenty more. It's a long road, but an important one. So firstly, we've benefited greatly from both top-down and grassroots action within the bank. Our leaders have made it clear that ESG and our purpose – are not nice-to-haves, but a business imperative to become a truly sustainable bank. This strong leadership is complemented by the employee-led networks that allow colleagues to take a larger role in supporting an ESG progressive culture. The NatWest Group Sustainable Futures Network actually recently hosted an event at COP26 to share our great experience with other organisations looking to do the same. Secondly, it's important to create the space to discuss ESG, and this discussion shouldn't stand alone or separate to the ways in which leaders ordinarily interact with their teams. As with any new topic, colleagues may be nervous to contribute so increasing the frequency of discussions removes some of that pressure and leads to a greater conversation. And then finally, it's one that we've discussed previously in a different context, but you have to ensure that your ESG strategy is embedded into decision making. We often see that companies have flashy documentation, but when you scratch below the surface we can see that ESG doesn't hold the weight it should. Adopting a fully integrated approach will emphasise that ESG is not a side of desk activity, but everyone's responsibility to deliver.
0: Tanya those are quite big steps for a lot of organizations we can talk about what needs to be done today but is this also something that needs to be done in the future if you want to attract the best people and if you want to hang on to them as well?
2: Absolutely. So a couple things come to mind. Mm. As I reflect on the survey, I think this is really changing the mindset from the top of the organization right throughout senior management, everybody. And I think it goes back to when we talk about climate, when we talk about implications of ESG, it affects all of us in our personal lives, in our professional lives, and similarly, we all have a role to play in being part of the solution. So when I think about the executive perspective, what our survey results told us is that the senior C-suite team, you know, they see their role in managing climate impact significantly expanding over the next three years. And that includes managing the impact on their business and in the communities where their businesses operate, and also delivering on mitigating the impacts of climate change, including supply chain and impacts to their key stakeholders. So the C-suite, they see their role as changing. And then from an employee perspective, what the survey also told us is that two-thirds of respondents anticipate some form of adverse impact from their corporate decarbonization efforts on employees. Many of these employees will be able to be retrained or upskilled. You know, some, their jobs will fundamentally change. So when we think about what does this mean for recruiting and retaining teams, I think it's really about tapping into what are the needs of the organization to be successful on its decarbonization journey. It's embracing its existing team members, really supporting them to be a productive part of the solution. Helping them to be successful, whether it's within the organization or if their job is going to fundamentally change, is ensuring that they don't get shut out. But then also, Bradley, I just want to build on what you were saying a moment ago. This isn't about a one size fits all proposition. It's really critical that the way a company goes about It's future fitness, thinking about how it's going to be successful on its transition journey, that it really aligns with the culture of the organization and the way that it engages its people, the way that it sees market opportunities, the way that it wants to be present in the market. All of this really needs to be consistent and aligned.
0: I tell you what, though, Tanya. I speak to some people in that C-suite. You probably speak to a lot more people in that C-suite. Not everyone's convinced by this. And the reason that they would give you is that this just seems very disruptive, potentially bad for business. Is this transition, this just transition about being a good corporate citizen or is it good for business as well?
2: I think it's fundamental to the success of business going forward. The impacts of climate change are going to affect different businesses in different ways. So first and foremost, I think it's critical that every business understands the implications for the markets that it operates in, the way that, you know, its business as usual is being conducted. I mean, that initial assessment is really critical to understand the relevance and then that will guide the path forward. But as we look out to the future, every business is going to be affected in some way. Either the market that it operates in is going to change the kinds of questions and expectations that its clients or customers have of it is going to be different. So it really is about understanding those critical elements to your business.
0: What do you think, Bradley? Is this about purpose or profit?
1: I think they're one and the same, and I think we have to look at them as being the same. If I take RBS International as the topic here, because it's what I know best in this scenario, our purpose-led strategy is our corporate strategy. We do not distinguish between the two. We believe if our communities and our customers do well, then so will we. And I think that's how we have to start looking at things. We need to prop up the economy. We know the impacts through degradation of our climate or greater imbalances from a social aspect. And so we know that that has a negative impact on the economy that we're all operating in. And so we all need to play our part to ensure that we support that future that is sustainable, both economically and environmentally. And then just one other point, just on what Tanya was saying. Talent management is a really good example of how you can attract the best talent, which is often seen as an economic benefit, through your purpose. And especially over COVID-19, we saw this shift in individual values where people are really looking at at their lives. We all had time at home more so than we've ever had before. And a lot of people are now saying, actually, I want to do what I was doing before, but I want to do it for an organisation that supports environmental and social development. So as we go down the line and try to attract the best talent it'll be imperative to your business that you have a purpose that not only is clear but you can demonstrate actions towards it and so again to summarize we shouldn't be looking at purpose versus profit it's definitely an and and not an or.
0: One of the things that surprised me during this year is the sort of conversations we've been having, like the one that we're having today, that wouldn't really have happened in any other year, and if they had happened, you'd have thought, well, they don't really mean it, and it's been clear from all our guests on A Just Transition this year that there really are a lot of people putting a lot of effort and being very successful into making a just transition happen but that's all we have time for this year in reporting it bradley i'll be coming back next year
1: yes i'm pleased to say we'll be back next year and i'm looking forward to it but for now just a huge thank you to tanya for joining us again
2: thank you so much for having me happy holidays to both of you
0: thank you tanya and uh, congratulations on the new job thanks to all of you who have listened subscribed reviewed us in 2021 and let us know if there are topics you want us to cover or guests that you want us to speak to we'll do our best to deliver what you want meanwhile i hope everyone has a safe and enjoyable festive period goodbye